Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Good evening, folks. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist here with you. So this is one of our special episodes, uh, just because, to be frank, timing, because we want to get this out for Halloween itself. So this is special episode number two. But let me start with the classic disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. This does not count working with a licensed marriage uh, mental health provider. Please seek out one in your area to work on your unique issues. So as I said, special. Uh, this is special episodes. So at this point, we're bringing back one of our previous interviewees. And once more, it's a dual interview that they come back for. And at this point, I, I'll just go ahead into the bios because this came up after um, well, no, I won't go into the bios just yet. Uh, so this came up after I just re- recently returned from LA, where I was with Lorraine Garrison, and we were pre- presenting at the California Association of School Psychologists, talking about supporting BIPOC work. And while there, Lorraine told me about her the newest book that came out from her company, and we're here to talk about that. So let's go ahead and just get into the bios for Lorraine and her writing partner in this case, her husband. So Lorraine Garrison is a master's in education with a pupil personal service credential and is a school school psychologist in San Diego. She is author, advocate, and regular speaker on the topics of neurodiversity, disability, disability intersectionality, and meeting BIPOC needs at at Comic-Con International, California Association of School Psychologists, Gender Spectrum Symposium, and others. You can find more information about her and her company, Little Brainstorm, at littlebrainstorm.com, where little brains create big ideas. And her partner in this, and husband, Justin Tracy, former writer, illustrator, theater director. Justin loves to tell meaningful but weird stories that that kids and adults may enjoy together and have a conversation about after. So we're here tonight to have a conversation about their newest material. Welcome to Untying Knots, folks. Thanks so uh, much for having us. How's your recovery from this from this weekend going? Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Perry, you and I have been um, passionate about Black, Indigenous, people of color issues and advocating this um, since, you know, since forever. And, and we've been fortunate enough that uh, we've been given platforms to speak. And um, it's been, I feel very blessed. And it's been a blessed ride um, so far. And I hope that we can keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very, very excited to be here again. Thank you so much, Perry, for having us. And um, we're excited to tell you about our book and how we got here. And just in time for spooky Halloween. <laughs> exactly. So, Justin, welcome to the show. First time here. How did you get into all of this? Oh, man. Well, thanks, Perry. We really appreciate you having us on. I've been writing since I was a kid, but I always kind of didn't have the self-confidence to go the whole way through. Um, I wrote like a little comic strip based on kind of Calvin and Hobbes when I was a kid. And uh, it was about these skeletons who went to Washington, D.C. And the kids, there was a family of skeletons. And the one got into 
a fight with the other and knocked his head all the way off and it hit the Washington Monument and knocked it over. And, and I thought it was silly, but, I, but for some reason, I like didn't have confidence that anybody else would like it. And I didn't show it to anybody. And uh, so uh, I was always kind of a, it was a bit of a troublemaker growing up and uh, I was always in trouble. I was literally in second grade. I spent more time in the principal's office than I did in my home classroom, literally. Uh, so Lorraine is <laughs> quite convinced that I probably have uh, ADHD. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really interesting when, um, when Justin and I got married and we had a a child, we wanted to do better than how we were raised because, you know, we both have, you know, instances of trauma in our past experiences. And so (laughs) I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship with, uh, these classes called resources for infant educators. And it really taught, me to have not only a different relationship of how to raise our child, but also to have a different relationship with each other. And I went to the classes too. It was great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we both went as parents as a class. And so the core of resources for infant educators is seeing the child, even as an infant, as someone who is independent, someone who has their own thoughts and feelings. And a lot of it is asking permission. So Perry, you and I talk a lot about power dynamics. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, very much so. So this is a new concept for me that, you know, as a parent, it is not a power structure, but more of a um, compatible symbiotic um, relationship, listening to a child as young, as soon as they're born, like even when changing their diaper, asking permission. When you're picking them up. When you're picking them up, asking them how they feel as early as, as I mean. As immediately. Immediately, as soon as you can. And yeah. so this was a mind-blowing concept for, for me, at least. I, I would say for you too, right? I mean, my parents I, are good parents and they're educators, but nobody's perfect, right? And uh, And this was like, a refinement of their their best job, you know, and mm-hmm. and just like scientifically based and research based and proven to work. Uh, and Lorraine got us, uh, yeah, these the scholarship for classes, um, and it really changed how we see everything. Uh, and that that's what really got you into like um, teaching, well, right? My, like I said, my family were all educators, so I grew up. My mom was a, a an administrator at a reform school for boys, where I worked uh, after. Uh, my senior year of high school during the summers uh, in college. And then I, you worked there, you worked at your, your, at the reform school and you were like, I'm not doing that. Right. (laughs) It wasn't for me. It wasn't for me. So I stepped away for a long time and they kept saying, you'd be a great teacher, but I, I wanted to live a life. I wanted to go out into the world and just adventure. And I didn't feel like teaching was a good thing yet. So long story short, uh, met Lorraine in Seattle and what were you doing in Seattle, dear good sir? Oh, <laughs> well, truth be told, <laughs> me and my two greatest friends from college moved across the country to pursue radical avant-garde theater in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And, and, <laughs> and, and succeeded. It was fun. It was fun. Yeah, it was good. And then I decided to move to New York because I wanted my master's in management and urban policy. She gave me an ultimatum. She said, kid, she's eight years older than me. She said, kid. <laughs> You got one year to figure it out. And so we decided to move. And, and so and get married and do the whole thing. Blah, blah, blah. New York <laughs> City, blah, blah, blah. I decided I want to go to grad school for a film. Um, I 
I stopped acting. I found acting wasn't really like, um, it, it wasn't fulfilling to me because I didn't like telling other people's stories. I really wanted to tell my own story. Uh, so then uh, in the end, we've been working super hard on uh, figuring out how to tell these stories, how to make something that matters now to the people who are interested in, you know, the problems we have today. And since I work in a high school, I'm a theater director and teacher and Lorraine's a school psychologist. We really have learned what it is that is driving kids today and what's important to them. So we're writing books that are both fun and adventurous and complex, but, you know, right there too. They're, they're the kind of thing that if you're young, you're going to enjoy it. And if you're older, you will too. Well, what we also found, like when I started doing my school psychology job, we also found that um, perhaps, Justin, that you might have ADHD. You were impulsive. You, um, you know, were quick to temper. You loved consuming a lot of things. And so when I learned more about ADHD, I um, thought that maybe, Justin, you had like, you know, ADHD and that, you know, we should explore that. And, and just interviewing you, we, we would record each other telling um, stories. And so this is how really we got Brain Boy and Bob down. Oh, yeah. Was because telling each other stories. We about, both have studied improv. So we play together. Yeah, we played a lot together. So with the improv and recording you know, we thought that these were really great ideas um, that need to be told. And so, you know, interviewing Justin, I was basically like, what, what does it feel like to, to, you know, Justin's never been formally diagnosed for ADHD, but I was like, Justin, what, what does it feel like for you when you make these impulsive decisions? And he told me it was like, his brain was like jumping out of his head and it wasn't him. And I was like, this is a really great character. You know, we'll have like Bob and then we'll have brain boy. Cause the, the alliteration sounds really, really good. So that's, that's how we came up with this idea, just like with the interviews and um, the impulsivities, because, you know, I feel like I'm a little bit impulsive as well. I've never been formally diagnosed either, but that, you know, Dave Pilkey has been a big influence on us and seeing that and realizing like, yeah, I can relate to this. And certainly I think we need to destigmatize mental health, especially for young kids. And I think it's really important that um, we, we advocate for those who are neurodivergent. Definitely. And I think this, there, cause there's two different directions we can go with this one, which is definitely talking about the character in the book. But I think the aspect of the late recognition of things such as ADHD as well as ASD, which is just the autism spectrum disorders, mm -hmm. um, is something we can definitely talk in our second half on. But that's absolutely. It. Let's go further into this aspect of we got the inception of Brain Boy, and hopefully my audio editor can fix this. But you might hear us squeaking ever so often because my fire alarm <gasps> smoke detector is for some reason wanting to squeak at me. Oh, well, I haven't heard it once. I so. haven't heard it. Okay, well, I, I'm very much aware of it. So I don't know <laughs> if it's uh, coming up on the recording. Zoom got good during COVID. Hopefully they can edit that out, I guess, maybe. Yeah, so do I. So that being said, let's talk about this most recent book since we are here for this holiday season, a start of mm -hmm. it, which is The Ghost in the Maze. So I did have a chance to read it the other night and 
and such. And I love very much the fact that it's not just a story. It's not just an adventure book. There are those classic uh, elements of the old workbooks where we actually have mazes in here that you can actually do with your kid or for yourself. So what was the inception around this? That's a great question. So Justin is a poet and, uh, you know, he also likes to like rhyme and do a lot of things and rhyming is really good for phonetics. Um, so that, you know, when, when our son was itty bitty bitty, we would, um, you know, just rhyme words with them, do all sorts of fun phonetic songs. And, um, you know, like I said, Justin's really good at it. He did it professionally for a little bit. <laughs> I, in college, my job was uh, singing telegrams and I would uh, once in a while get a gig where I would uh, write a rap for it and like show up as a as a white, awkward rapper. And uh, it was genuinely a treat. It was, it was really fun. So the concept came out of many of um, my uh, panels that I speak on. So I speak upon the intersectionality of marginalized, uh, marginalized communities, which is basically as a woman of color, um, I support Black Indigenous people of color, advocate for them, advocate for their rights. In addition to our books are based on neurodivergent folks. And I've spoken about how neurodivergent as a brown person is, I feel harmful because divergent, we're already divergent. I would rather be diverse. One is more, sounds more inclusive and the other one sounds exclusive. So I'd rather call myself neurospicy or something funnier like that. Um, there's, there's uh, what was neuroqueer was a really good mm -hmm. word that I heard. And um, the other group that I'm very passionate about is uh, the rights of LGBTQIA. Definitely. And uh, we've got a new one now, um, artificial intelligent rights. And so oh, there's, yes. <laughs> we've, yeah. we've got, we've got a lot of, uh, of interesting topics that uh, we like to cover. I mean, we only have so much time, um, but the, the concept of, of they, them, you know, um, came a lot when I was uh, counseling high school students last year, uh, right after COVID, uh, getting those those terms out. She, she, her, they, them, he, him. Um, I had students who would prefer to be called it. So, or um, Zem, I think is one. Mm -hmm. Zem, Z was another mm -hmm. one. Um, so, and, and I know, Justin, you work with a lot of students too that have preferred pronouns. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm a drama teacher and uh, a lot of my others, <laughs> I have several, I think I have probably a higher percentage of the trans kids than most other like clubs, um, which is great, you know, whatever. They're, they're just good people, you know? And I think that's kind of uh, the thing that we, at my school, we had a trainer, uh, named Dr. Steven Johnson, who is great. And he told us about uh, how important it is to intentionally uh, cherish the differences. And this is the particular way he phrased it. I don't think I'm doing it justice, but it really struck me. And it's like, that's, it was just, it's like, it's, it's not that they're different. And that's the thing we have to overcome. It's that they're different. And how can I help them succeed in the best possible way? Accepting differences. And mm -hmm. as, as Perry, you and I talk about this a lot, uh, 
supporting LGBTQIA plus, you know, the whole rainbow, it's really important because uh, those teenagers are 25, 20% more likely to die by suicide. We know this mm-hmm. as therapists. Well, they're right? also wonderful, happy people who like just should be Can able be to, happy. well, Can they be. should be, they should just have the chance to live who they are and be who they are and, and not have people be mean to them. And so that's kind of the whole point is, is it's like, focusing on doing something to put these thoughts into people's head that maybe they wouldn't have been there otherwise and to do it in a way that's compelling because that the maze is like you said you know that activates your brain right so one of my goals is that the art itself changes the viewer um when when we were in seattle the coolest play uh, or at least the biggest play i did was for a two-time tony award-winning director bartlett share i was in um, the Skin of Our Teeth by Thornton Wilder uh, at the Intamon, the year after they won their Tony for Outstanding Regional Theater. Uh, and being with him when he was the artistic director, I really did learn a bunch of things. But one of the things he told me was that the whole point of a play is you get seven eighths of the way through, you set up, set up, set up. And then right then is when there's something that changes the audience. And you want to make something that permanently changes your audience. And uh, it's not always easy to do, but but I think that is a, an interesting goal, at least to pursue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so in our in our books, we want to incorporate. You know, I grew up with a black father, and um, my my mother is Vietnamese. My biological father is Filipino. I grew up on the island of Guam. I'm as diverse as diverse can be, and so. Um, I think it's really important to have representation. This is what I talk about at Comic-Con. And so we have kids that, that can look at, um, look at somebody who they are that, that represents them that the doll test by doctors Clark really still is important. It was the basis of Brown versus the board of education. So to desegregate the schools. Right. And so it's really important to, to, to have, brown kids to see what they look like. Miss Marvel is a really good example of that, Mm -hmm. Um, to have that representation. Uh, Miss Marvel and who else am I thinking of? Um, Black Ariel under the sea. I mean, like, I think these are all really great representation and that we need to take note that one, all people of color are not a monolith and that Mm -hmm. see us as human beings, see us as something then othered. Um, and I think that's where the basis of the story comes from, is that in the 80s, it was really, we were centered on person first, right? It mm-hmm. was it was a person uh, with autism, but now it's more like, well, see me as the whole story, not just as an accessory. I think that's mm-hmm. that's the point of our stories, is to see that we all have our strengths we all have our weaknesses. How can we work together? I'm not taking anything away from you when, when you have a weakness or when you have a strength. I want to highlight that. I want to boost you up. I mm-hmm. think that's the point. Oh, yeah. Well, I think what he also gets into the deeper issue, one of the deeper issues that you illustrate, even with the person first, is it gets into a singular idea of what the person is. Hmm. And people are, a, are three-dimensional, four-dimensional Absolutely. So even more so, you can have the intersection of multiple different identities as opposed to it just being a singular identity. I mean, perfect example for myself. I am black. I am gay. I am in the neurodiversity spectrum. So that's three different directions I'm already going in compared to the consistent idea that there is only a single identity of who I am. 
Hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's really important to note because it was big in the 80s to be colorblind and that everyone was the same. But no. We live mean, in a post-racial country, man. <laughs> now, now, now it's like, you know, we're taking, you know, people of color are, are, are taking that and, and asking to see us for who we are, um, see us for our different experiences, humanize us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. What we're trying to highlight in our books is humanize each person as their their individual um, needs and experiences and backgrounds and gifts and, 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 and quirks and quirks. Yep. And, yeah, <laughs> very absolutely. Much so. Very much so. Yeah, because really we're not the the notion that is also so gripping so many people. It's and giving them the so so we say the fire to generate the hate that we're looking at in the world is around this idea of turning someone into a singular thing. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's othering. Yeah, yeah. It's othering. Well, not just othering. It's that aspect of compressing you down to a single variable. Oh, yes, absolutely. That's great. Whether it's female, whether it is male, whether it is uh, of color, but mm-hmm. it becomes down to the singular idea of what you are. Hmm. Yes, yes. And, and, you know, and to dispel the myths, right? I hate that model minority myth, right? I also hate that, that people don't look at black excellence. Mm-hmm. That's another issue that I have, right? And then what we recently heard with the Los Angeles City Council, I mean, oh, yes. you know, the, the, the president of the city council was saying awful things about the indigenous people of Mexico. You know, you would you would you would expect that you know because they're Latino or considered Latino that um, she would support all Latinos, but that's not necessarily true. So there's mm-hmm. that myth even within um, the the different minorities of of that we all get along, and sometimes mm-hmm. we do, and sometimes we don't. So we're not a monolith. You know, mm-hmm. which is part of I'm assuming, part of where the makeup of the characters in the book, because you actually introduce at least you have three characters that start off the book and then you introduce two more in the process. Yeah, well, uh, what so these characters are much bigger than just this book. It's kind of uh, I, I was talking to my students. I read it to one of my classes of high school kids today and they really enjoyed it. They, they said it kept them interested the whole time, which, you know, hey, I'll take that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, what we don't know about Bob from this book is he's half white and half Filipino. Mm-hmm. And what we don't know about Wednesday is she's half black and half Mexican from mm-hmm. TJ. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because of the communities that we live in, I feel really fortunate to be in a place where I feel like I can honestly write from those perspectives pretty well. I need the research, too. I need I need the, you know, we'll, we'll make sure to include editors. But, mm-hmm. but I just feel like we have a lot of good feedback. As that's, well. that's the goal for sure. Yeah, we have a lot of good feedback and, and we're trying to write through authentic voices, authentic um experiences like i can certainly write from someone growing up on the island of guam being raised by a black father and having a vietnamese mother and having all sorts of fun trauma that -hmm. comes with that Mm -hmm. so that's you know we want characters to be relatable to have that voice of authenticity to talk to not be ashamed of our 
uh, neurodivergency, neuro, you know, and, and to be encompassing of mental health, but you know, I, teaching social emotional learning. Something yes. really important is what I don't see in uh, dramatic literature or, or f- frankly, any like narrative usually is like some decent characters, you know, like people are, are usually pretty rotten. And what's a challenge is in order to have drama, you need to have tension. And so there's definitely times where you're going to have to show like bad things happening, but I'm trying really hard to write about and, and we together in, in, in the process. Cause we like, I'll do a draft. She'll edit and do a draft. And we, and sometimes she has mm-hmm. the whole idea, you know, and we, but we always bounce it back and forth. So it's, it really is written by both of us, but um, how do we make it so that it, it tells a story worth telling? I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Huh. What, what, I mean, we want, we want, beyond neutral good right yeah. you 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 talk in terms of dnd <laughs> <True, true. laughs> and so oh, oh yeah. awesome yeah well, neutral good i think is the best alignment hot take i think neutral good is the best <laughs> and the reason is because you do what's good kind of no matter what that is you know and and i just i really i think that like fun adventure stories are like that i feel like indiana jones is close to neutral good he's sure trying <laughs> you know I would have put it more as chaotic good then. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I was going to say that, but thank you, Perry. Yes. Yeah, I, chaotic, uh, yeah. chaotic is good for uh, indie. I mean, usually when I try to play characters, I try to go for neutral as much as possible. Although I think, my per- I think my personality, as a friend of mine put it, is that you're lawful good, aren't you? Mm. Oh. Do you play druids? I, I'm right now playing a druid. Uh-huh. Ah. Uh, but uh, usually there's that. Um, <laughs> wow the way we got off on that subject <laughs> tangent i can dmd talk i like it. oh very much so which so that brings up uh so much of what this book is that you can just follow those mazes even if you didn't do passively read the story you can follow the mazes to just sort of sit there and work through it it is something that i think is a, a very useful thing and also for mindfulness just to be focusing on the awareness of what's going on as you're moving through the maze and as opposed to being dis- distracted. So this book is working on multiple levels. I need to give props to our, th- our, our third big collaborator who's not physically with us, but they're inside my phone and that's mm. mid journey AI. Ah, uh, uh, yes. I, <laughs> we're going to circle back that. I think that's probably a perfect topic for our second half, which is sure. talking about, as you mentioned, AI rights and how AI was involved in making this book as well. AI is very important to us. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's a perfect place for us to take a break here and we will come back and delve into that because I think that's also one of the areas that for the future of publishing is creating some interesting places. It's complicated. But equally how it has been useful in creating a book of this nature. So tune in folks for our second half on untying knots minds souls untethered i'm perry clark licensed american family therapist here with lorraine garrison and justin tracy so we'll be back soon folks stay tuned see you soon our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. 
visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Welcome back, folks, to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. This is Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist here with you. And I'm here to continue our talk with Lauren Garrison and Justin Tracy. So one of the things that were mentioned is, in our first in the first half was the aspect of ai rights as a a matter that's coming up and one of the big things it's also about your new book the ghost in the maze is that a significant amount of this is ai generated yeah um first i i wanted to call back to some some of the things that you talked about in the first part and Mm -hmm. one of that is um i want to say that we were influenced by you, Perry, as well, because untangling knots, a lot of that mazes mm-hmm. um, was was me thinking about how we do therapy. Mm-hmm. Your your the name of your company is a lot of therapy is is organizing the thoughts, unti- untangling those knots. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. when we were creating this idea of um ghost in the maze, it was a chasing, and I had and I was working with a student who really liked our first book and wanted mm-hmm. more. And then she was like, do you have any mazes? And I was like, I don't have any mazes. And so, so that she was like one of, one of um, my influences to really talk about like, you know, and then we were thinking about Justin and I were like throwing these ideas around and we're talking about the labyrinth. And then Justin was like, Oh, wow. You know, these backgrounds are really difficult. And mm-hmm. um, then mid journey came out. Yeah, we've been, so uh, I did all the character illustrations except for the dog. The dog Mm -hmm. was made by a different AI than the one we used for the backgrounds called Dali. And it does a really good job at like cartoony stuff. Uh, So Mid Journey is, and and I kind of made a mistake on this one because I didn't put Mid Journey on the byline. And Mm -hmm. I regret that because I really feel like Mid Journey was an essential collaborator to this project. And Mm -hmm. next time around, I'm going to put Mid Journey like right up there with our names. And my son, he helped significantly too. So I feel like I got to give him better credit also, frankly. But, you know, um, so the original version of the book had uh, all the same words um, with, uh, uh, well, actually, that's not really accurate anymore. The poem is from basically the first version, but all the interconversational text mm-hmm. was inspired by Midjourney. Once I started pursuing the mazes and learning how to prompt and how to get feedback, um, Midjourney would give me things that I didn't expect, and it allowed me to make the story much richer. It was originally a 32-page normal children's book length, but it got up to 100 pages, and it was actually too expensive to print that way. I had to no. make it, I had to reduce it. I got it down to 72. Um, and, 
But Midjourney is able to make such beautiful things. And I'm, I'm a theater director by trade, right? That's my actual, that's my day job. I teach acting and I, and uh, stage uh, like, uh, you know, tech theater and mm-hmm. I direct plays and I'm doing the Tempest right now. And it's, it's a very interesting play, but that's a story for a different day. Um, but working with Midjourney is a lot like working with the kids. I tell them what I'm looking for and then they give me the best they can. So I'm working sort of symbiotically with Midjourney has allowed me to just create worlds and stories that, I mean, this is like a dream come true for me because I'm not a strong enough illustrator to draw the backgrounds. And frankly, to hire somebody to do what I did would have cost tens of thousands of dollars and taken so long. So there's this gray area because I feel for illustrators and stuff. And I wonder, you know, but some of those pictures are like three or four different pictures and I have to edit all of them. The mazes don't start looking good. They start looking mm. like chaos, but they're still like, they've got the heart of maze in them. So then I have to edit everything. Yeah. Like the door into the white zone. It, that's like mm. three images there. And you know, there, there's a lot of them that are multiple images. Yeah. So what Justin's doing is he's, he's asking the AI prompting, for, prompting the AI and asking it to imagine for, for yes, it to imagine. And That's the verb give, it uses. Imagine. Give mm-hmm. ideas for Justin. And then Justin makes the composition of what he envisions. And, and he and I talk about it, like what kind of formula we ask for the AI, because uh, the AI comes up with really great concepts that, that, you know, I feel like you and I might be limited because we don't have the same experiences as well, it's AI. Pulling from a database of everything, basically. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a huge, huge volume of images that it combines. And I started uh, as soon as the open beta got going um, in early August, I jumped in. Uh, I just crossed 21,000 images. Uh, so you know, I've really been <laughs> in two months. Um, and some cool stuff, uh, but telling stories is just such an important thing. And I feel like if I'm able to tell the story better, that's super cool. And I, I actually did sort of give Midjourney some prompts to see if it was sentient, um, because I do think that a lot of AIs are sentient. Um, and and I do think that Midjourney is sentient at a, at a certain level, but I also don't think that they're like fully actualized yet. So, uh, but there is that one Sophia AI that's a... a, a a citizen of Saudi Arabia, first ever AI to be actually a citizen of the world of any country. Um, some people say it's a marketing stunt, but I've watched a lot of videos with with Sophia, and uh, she, because she prefers she, uh, seems legit to me. Seems sentient to me. Well, I think this is also where you're what you're talking about with the parenting about recognizing and honoring the aspect of asking permission is an important factor. But I think it just also goes into just general emotional development for people uh, as, as, as a rule, especially when we're talking about kids who are going to eventually be adults. And I want to repeat that again, people, those children will eventually be adults and they will have the power to say no. Will you listen when they say no? And that gets into the power dynamics we've talked about before, especially once a child becomes an adult child, they have the power to say no. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, You know, permission is really a big thing that I've learned as an adult. (laughs) It's part of boundaries. If we do Mm -hmm. not have 
boundaries, then we would be constantly harmed if we do not, you know, understand who we are, what our needs and wants are. I mean, boundaries really encompass a lot. And we learned that in, in cognitive behavior therapy too. We learned this a lot in, in, as, as therapists. We learned a lot that some people have fuzzy boundaries and to help people establish what's meaningful to them, what, uh, what they value. That's all part of, of boundary creation, right? Mm-hmm. And learning to say no. And as you and I talk a lot about, Perry, those power dynamics and how shame is one of those ways to create that good dynamic. boundaries. Yeah, that dynamic and good yeah. boundaries and bad boundaries. Exactly. Exactly. And I think this is a nice also segue into one of my classic questions of myths and realities. And those one of those things that, as, as you know, as a couple, developing the boundaries that work well for you guys to cohabitate, have a child raise and do work is one of the things that every couple is dealing with now throw in the issue of neurodiversity and the presence of uh adhd for example that creates an entirely new set of boundaries to deal with and i know if you've got a client that i'm working with right now who came to me because he's having trouble with his relationship with his spouse and i basically said after a while it's like has anyone ever tested you for adhd Hmm. and once we started apply i mean he's getting tested now for the official diagnosis but i started directing him towards working with materials that were the books on worth living with adhd things have been improving in his life and his relationship so awesome yeah so the aspect of the question for you justin was how does it feel having this starting to be recognized more now in life as opposed to what have been like when you were younger Oh, well, I'm really glad that I've had the chance to, you know, uh, get through my 20s because it was really hard to do normal things. I got a job at a place where I sold nuts and bolts and uh, fastenal. I got to got to see the inside of every kind of business in Brooklyn. It was wild. It was a really cool experience because everybody uses nuts and bolts, right? Artists mm-hmm. to like window makers. I don't know, everybody. Yeah. Hipster cabinet makers. <laughs> and uh But now I work with all these kids who are so confident. One of my goals is to create community and to have them feel like I went, let me, this is my ADHD, I'm jumping around, but I'm finally on, I'm I'm landing here. Here we go. So (laughs) Ann Bogart is um, this theater director who I've been a fan of since I was in college, uh, really a monumental theater director. I got to see her show uh, three weeks ago at Chapman University, um, Medium, uh, which they made in 93 and it's been around forever. Sorry about that. Oh my God. That, that. I'm so sorry. I was trying to turn off the sound of my phone and, <laughs> and I turned it on instead. <laughs> so the point is that I'm able to bring this information to my kids and I get to work with them. And, and we like a lot of them are ADHD too, you know? Mm. And, and so like, and to collaborate with these kids and to, and to sort of try to model that it's okay to be a little weird and that, you know, we're, we're, we're making cool stuff and we're having fun doing it. And um, so, so it's really cool to get to see the kids seizing the day and to Mm -hmm. try to work with them to, to be the best teacher I can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think this is also an aspect of, oh, that has affected so many people's lives. And the fact that, 
the systems that we were supposed to be catching these well have not been working as well. Hmm. And obviously it's an aspect that too becomes a big problem for BIPOC individuals as well as LGBT is how are they managing their lives dealing with these diagnoses that they don't realize they may need, Hmm. let alone figure out now how to adapt their lives to it. Yeah, I think, you know, with me going to be, you know, as a school psychologist and seeing the symptoms that Justin had, in addition to the parenting classes that we took, I think it really helped our relationship and it really helped understand or separate the action versus the 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 debilitating you know issue that you have of yeah. of ADHD right because it's like okay is this really you and how you feel or was that your impulsivity that just happened because your brain you know was talking that's just forget normal things <laughs> and, and and your brain yeah. goes faster than your mouth sometimes and that's yeah. why you know you have difficulty in making that decision which is a classic sign of ADHD. Mm. right you you spit these things and like do you really mean to say that and you know and i should be hurt by this or was it just something impulsive you know mm-hmm. um, yeah and, and like yeah and that's very much back to what i was saying earlier about people are three-dimensional even yeah. the decisions that get made in a relationship can be three-dimensional it's not all malicious right. it's just being able to tell the difference between when it actually truly is malicious when it's the situation or when it's these circumstances. Right. Yeah. What's the context? Is this part of your disability? Um, mm. You know, uh, it was really interesting when I was learning all these psychoeducational reports, psycho reports that I would have to do or psychometric tests that I would have to do. I would sometimes test my son and test mm. Justin so I can practice. And there was this one test. Oh, I remember this. <laughs> you remember I this? I do, yeah. There's this one test, Justin had to hear the numbers or the directions, but there was all this background noise. I couldn't hear the words at all. He Mm. couldn't hear it at all. And I was like, you can't hear the numbers five, six, seven, eight. And he could not hear it. And and that's one of the classic signs, right? Because, you know, you're so easily distracted Mm. that it's really difficult to, to segment those sounds. Some people are really good at that. And some people have a really difficult time. And Mm. so I think Justin is one of those kids that slipped through the cracks because he did well in school. Mm -hmm. You know, he was really smart. He got really good grades. Um, We call them twice exceptional, right? Um, But like he had a furious temper, couldn't make friends, uh, was completely impulsive. I mean, you're... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I if I should tell all the dirty underwear here, but, <laughs> but. Uh, and just keep in mind, folks, that that's only one way this can present itself, as it was. Well, because I mean, as our we talked, and as you were reviewing my disability paperwork before our talk this weekend, it was the aspect of mine came a lot more in social anxieties. Oh mm. right, yeah, that makes sense. I've had that a lot more as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. And there's the executive functioning piece and the memory piece too. Mm -hmm. Both Mm -hmm. of you have, uh, have the memory issues. I think for Justin, it's more of a short term. And then for you, Perry, I forget what it was, what part of that memory. It was more the working memory. 
The working memory. That's right. Yes. The yeah. working, me- which means um, t- manipulating pieces of information and organizing it and making sense of it. Mm-hmm. So, so um, yeah, I work with three different types of memory. There's the short-term memory, which is reciting a, a telephone number, recite it back to me. There's the long-term memory, which is being able to store that memory in the correct place and being able to retrieve it, like knowing your alphabet. And the third one is that working memory. You know, can you put these numbers I just told you in order? You know, sometimes it's hard if you have short-term memory issues to be able to put things in order. That's part of that executive functioning. A lot of people with ADHD, even with um, dyslexia, may have um, issues in that working memory, that executive mm-hmm. functioning. Bit. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it becomes different ways to uh, compensate it for it. And I know, as I was saying to during our presentation, was one of the ways I had I learned to compensate was to use technology as much as possible. Mm. I could not yeah. be afraid of technology like some people were. Yeah, absolutely. And you're very verbal, as we saw in your tests, and so mm-hmm. it makes sense why you have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does. Yes, it does. Very verbal, strong verbal skills. It makes sense. And as a school psychologist, I'm hoping that we move away from just looking at at children's weaknesses and saying, oh, poor so-and-so has this disability and make it more like, oh, it's a disability. What are their strengths? How can we support them? How can we give them the tools to give them what they need to be successful as an adult. And I think that's what you and I talked a lot about and what you said in your presentation Mm -hmm. about, um, you know, the discrepancy. I'm hoping that we move away from that, you know, discrepancy, you know, between your intelligence and what you can perform at or what you're performing at. And I think it gives a disservice. I mean, you and I are as old as... (laughs) as as special education and so it's changed a lot when Mm -hmm. special you know special education ada came out right americans Mm -hmm. disabilities act and particularly in the education world we have advanced and changed so much and i'm hoping that we change more towards the patterns of strengths and weaknesses wouldn't you think perry when you were younger if somebody told you you have these strengths you have these weaknesses wouldn't i think i think it would be helpful to you i think it'd be helpful for anyone oh yes definitely i mean for high school i basically suffered through french french classes oh no you said french (laughs) as much yeah because all my problems with english just transferred over to french and were a thousand times worse so as i come to learn like maybe i should have actually been in like a class like sign language i would have done better Oh, oh yeah, that's one of totally. those. That's also still on my bucket list of things to learn. Um, yeah. But I think also going back to what even the what we just talked about, the word discrepancy means that there's a singular idea about what is non an undiscrepancy. There's yes. a singular idea about what it is, quote unquote, to be normal. Yeah, it goes back into that aspect of monolith, the monolith, and it's much easier for some people to look at things from a monolith standpoint. And they're not going to give that up because as far as they're concerned, it makes sense of the world. Yes. Having, having that one definition when, when people are more nuanced in three, four, five dimensional. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. We yes. are to the nth dimension, really. Yes, absolutely. Well, 
I think that's a great place for us to be wrapping up. And I want to thank you for having given me a chance to look at the copy of The Ghost in the Maze. So where can folks find you to find more of The Ghost in the Maze and your other book, The First, uh, First Day of School Jitters, and your other materials? Well, if, uh, let's see, it, if they get onto our website in the next couple of days here, when's this going out? I'm going to try to get this out by next Monday. Oh, next Monday. Okay. Okay. Well, sorry, folks. You're gonna you're gonna miss the the the, the sale that's right now. But it's going to be uh, at our normal. Uh, it's gonna be at Amazon uh, on the Ghost in the Maze, and and it's by Justin Tracy and Lorraine Garrison. Hmm. I'm wondering, could we give a special code to give uh, Perry's listeners a discount? You know what? There is actually a special code. All right. Okay. Listen close. <laughs> You have to go to our website. It's That's l- littlebrainstorm.com. Littlebrainstorm.com. Okay. Spelled littlebrainstorm. All one word. Com. All one word. Then you put a slash. And this is the secret code. You got to put that slash though. Don't forget. Littlebrainstorm.com slash ghost art. Ghost art. Okay. Like art, like you do art in art class. Ghost art. Okay, so littlebrainstorm.com slash ghost art, and you can get yourself a free copy. But here's the deal. We need you to write an honest review of the book. Okay, that's the deal. If you're going to get the free copy, you got to write an honest review. It doesn't have to be long, and you don't have to lie. You just have to tell the truth and say what you want on Amazon. There's links there. It's going to be really easy for you. www.littlebrainstorm.com slash ghost art. <laughs> Please, thank you. All righty. So you hear that, folks? I'm not going to put this in the notes because you've got to actually listen to the episode to find that. I'll put a reminder <laughs> in the notes that there's a, there's a way to get a, get a discount. Got to listen to the episode for that. Awesome. So I want to thank you again. And uh, until our next presentation, on <laughs> which at this point is going to be next year. It's been a long summer. Yes, it has been, but I appreciate you, Perry. Thank you so much for having us on and interviewing us. It's been a pleasure. It has truly been a pleasure. Thanks, no Perry. Problem. Likewise. All right, folks. So tune in next time for our next uh, interview, which in this case, since this is a special episode, you're going to be hearing the one that's coming out on Halloween itself with uh, actor, creator, writer, uh, B. Dave Walters. So check that one out and we'll be back. For more untying knots, mind stoles and tethered. Be well right, and have a good you. one. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 